0: How's it, Internet, and welcome to Two Guys in SharePoint.
1: The only SharePoint show in South Africa and in the rest of the world where everything is not made up and there are no points.
0: International flavor today. Greetings, Al.
1: For sure, man. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Modlin.
0: Lacquer Brew.
1: Yeah, it's been a busy, busy, busy
0: time. Yes. Had a lacquer weekend away and jumped right back into it. Back to the salt mines, as it were. Yeah. it is. it is actually
1: salt. Joburg is just one big fat salt mine now. <laughs> so, so you went um, into the bush? Yeah, got off to Kruger for the long weekend. Always nice. I, I I struggle to picture you as someone. But you don't stay in a tent, though?
0: No, no, no. We stay in the okay. self-catering chalets.
1: You're the civilized
0: camper? Yeah, like, and we always get the perimeter unit, too. So we've got the view onto the bush. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. So is this like becoming like a thing for you to do now? Uh it's always been a thing for us. We get a, we get out there at least once a year. I know, but uh, this is the second time this year, isn't it? Um possibly. We try to go off sort of as often as we can. Love Kruger. It's amazing. All right, so um moving along swiftly, uh, this week on the show. Yes, you've got a guest, you've interviewed a guest for us, oh. Yeah, I've actually
1: um um bringing my my side of, of, of this podcast show. Um, you do everything. I just find a guest, and I actually have found a guest, uh, contrary to what was said in last week's podcast, um, that it was your fault. It was actually my fault. So so this week, uh, we've decided to, and, and the reason why we had Joshua on this week was I think it was sometime over the weekend, I asked a question on Facebook specifically around, do, I, do people think that there is... Reason for SharePoint On-Prem um, because the only noise that's coming out of Microsoft is all around SharePoint Online. And then the conversation went to, well, moving to the cloud. And I thought, well, who is, who's the most knowledgeable around data centers? And I remember that Joshua Jobar, Jobar actually is certified as a data center architect, he's got a data center certification. So he can talk to you about BTUs and how many levels deep into the ground you actually have to go to build your data center. And I thought, well, he's probably the best voice available for us to come have a conversation on moving to the cloud and those things. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Joshua Jobe. And on this week, we have a a personal friend of mine and a personal friend of of the Modlin as well. Um, We've worked together before. I don't know how to describe him because, well, let let me put it to you this way. He's a certified data center architect. Certified. I didn't even know that existed. He doesn't write code, but he'll open up Visual Studio and show you what he's fiddling with. (laughs) He's not supposed to do CRM, but he does. And he's actually a, a, a SharePoint architect that knows, that has... SQL DBA suits. So, welcome Joshua, it's great
2: to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Alistair, it's much appreciation. thank you for the introduction. Um, no, so, so, yeah, well,
1: we, we, I, I don't know what to call you, uh, I suppose enterprise architect would be the, the easiest way to describe what you do, but uh, I don't know architects that actually write code.
2: Yeah, so that's, that's very strange uh, that some people do that, um, I don't necessarily write code out of The love for writing code, I write it out of the necessity sometimes. Uh, But sometimes it's fun, uh, even though I hate it very much. Um, But yeah, still, it's fun sometimes to do that. Uh, Personally, I like to prefer when people uh, like to refer to me as um, not an architect or somebody special, but just as Joshua. That's that's it.
1: (laughs) No title on the business card.
2: Yes, there we go. No title whatsoever. I'm, I'm in total agreement
1: with you some people frown upon architects because the minute you label someone with that, oh, no, he's a solutions architect. And it's almost like, I mean, we know of architects that think they walk, walk on water because they have that title. So we won't really delve too much into that. So just a bit of background. Uh, where did you
2: start? Um, what got you into IT? Um, where are you right now? So I started in IT about... 17 odd years back, um, I started in the normal network environments, laying cables, yes, pulling cables or pulling wires, as people would know that, doing a bit of splicing work, um, doing much more network side of things, if we might say, uh, part of that, I started doing my Cisco, completed my Cisco studies. Oh God. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, did Cisco, uh, worked at a bank Um, as a normal wire guy, if we might say that, and uh, working with routers, working with switches, those types of things. Um, Then started moving up a bit, um, started working more uh, in a senior level, if we might say. And from a senior level, we talk about the monitoring, monitoring of the networks, those types of things. So back in the day, if you had to monitor networks, then you were probably like the go-to guy, even though I was the worst at it, if we might say that. Uh, um, from there uh, I got a job opportunity to work at an adult entertainment company Um, yes and it's not porn Um, so yeah I worked there, did a bit of
1: uh,
2: IT help desk I did not (laughs) did a bit of IT help desk uh, did a bit of network monitoring and from there I accidentally stepped into the world of uh, SDS Uh, well at the time it was uh, SharePoint Team Services uh, worked a bit on that. Uh, but mostly just at from... This adult... Entertainment com- company. Yes, I know. Yeah. You
1: deployed SharePoint.
2: Well, <laughs> I didn't necessarily share the point at the adult entertainment company. Um, Why do I not know about <laughs> So... Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't in that type of adult entertainment that people I think. It was obviously in online gambling, uh, e-commerce. Oh, okay. Yes. That, that I know, I didn't okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, e-commerce, let's just rather put it as we e-commerce. We
1: to write this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, but you did ask, give a bit of background. Uh, adult entertainment, yeah. Yes. Mine goes uh, straight to porn. Yes, there we go.
2: So... I know about the casino thing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So I did a bit of that. Um, worked there uh, got more intense involved in content content management, those types of things uh, because it was very important that you have to capture everything that you're doing and you have to have a record of it, you know, and you need to know where to find that record and um, that record needs to substantiate certain times, certain queries, those types of things. So from there, uh, we used... SES. Oh, that was Derivco? No, that was uh, that was actually at Sorry Australian which is part of Derivco the, the okay. Micro Gaming services oh, group, yes okay. Then from there uh, left the company, started working at a company um, that's non-existent um, anymore. Our primary focus was setting up uh, PMOs, or project management yes. offices. Uh, that we had to deal with EPM. I got trained in the deep water with EPM. Didn't know anything about EPM um, at the time, but obviously you have to work through EPM, and you have to understand, because EPM is a beast on its own. But strangely enough
1: that you mentioned EPM, I still haven't seen any company implement or show me that they use EPM the way you showed us at Business Connection, that when I met you around, this is what EPM is?
2: So a lot of times people, uh, EPM is a bit misconstrued, if we might say that's uh, the purpose thereof. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say, "Yo, we've implemented project server for construction business. Well, Great. It's, that's more you're going to just do a bit of task management and that's it. But EPM is not necessarily the number one product in it, in, in that construction vertical. These are the products. So we had to consult across multiple products um, because the main focus of the business was setting up a PMO. And it doesn't matter what discipline was used um, or what framework was used. You need to understand the frameworks. You need to understand the products that goes uh, within the various verticals like the Primavera, the P6s, those types of things. So you had to understand all of that. Um, so that's basically where the project management experience then started kicking in. EPM knowing the product, EPM growing within the product of EPM. Uh, one of the key things about EPM was that SharePoint came along. And I always had, there was just always something about SharePoint just, that just enticed me about the, the, the product itself. You know, um, it's and once again, it's not a product. Okay, so let's just put it out there. It's yes, even though it's sold as a product, it's a journey that you're basically selling. That's what it is. It's got an endless life cycle, even though it's got multiple iterations and versions, but that's fine. Um, so yeah, that was basically it. Um, and then from there, worked at a company called Business Connection. Worked there for seven years. Uh, worked then directly from a EPM perspective. We were supposed to implement EPM into the Microsoft world, further on SharePoint, working further on SharePoint, starting to get into the development side, uh, into the workflow side, third party apps, those types of things. And then from there, uh, I started having a very, if we might say, intriguing feeling towards data centers. I was overwhelmed the day when I stepped into a tier four data center, um, about not necessarily the building, but the mechanics about the data center and uh, what the data center is all about and, and if we talk about data centers we're not talking about necessarily uptime or continuity or those types of things there's way more than just that
1: so you could go and calculate the BTUs required
2: yes quite effectively that's power stuff yeah. so 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 yeah that's, that's typically the level that, that I can Go down in onto, uh, even though the data center might sit at uh, let's say two levels underground, so you have to go down and low on that. So yeah, um, from there, then started getting into the data centers work, doing a lot of work in data centers uh, from an operational side. But coming with working with the operational side, I always had something in me that wanted to know. But how does this whole thing fit together? You know, it's easy to say, oh, let's just drop a couple of servers. You've got floor space. This is a floor space. You've got a U42 rack. You need so much BTU. You need so much power. This is the type of things that you need, blah, 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 the whole thing. Um, There's something more to that. There's something that needs to deliver that. And to get the understanding of what is that that needs to be delivered, it was something I always wanted to know. So basically did a couple of courses, uh, certified myself in it. And yeah, so now I can basically consult from... A data center floor perspective right into the end user of an application, basically. So so on that data center, because it's an interesting conversation,
1: I posted, I asked the question, I think it was it was sometime over the weekend, around do we see a future for SharePoint on-prem versus SharePoint online? Primarily because everything, so the last time we heard anything cool about SharePoint was... May the 4th, mm-hmm. Jeff Deeper, I mean, there's a SharePoint Virtual Summit coming up next month. And Jeff took us through making SharePoint cool again. SharePoint yes. 2016 coming, <clears throat> great. Two months after SharePoint 2016 was released, there was a feature pack, which was more around hybrid than anything else. But every blog post that comes out of Microsoft when it pertaining to SharePoint is SharePoint Online. There's no new tooling or toys or there's no companion apps for SharePoint on-prem. So my question really is, A, do you see a future for SharePoint on-prem? Because when I see people moving to the cloud, uh, this is the second part of the conversation, SharePoint's the last thing you need or even consider when it comes to moving to the cloud. That should not be a lot of... I've had questions around, but tell us why we need to move to SharePoint Online. I said, if you can't drive a cloud adoptions conversation from SharePoint Online, that just makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. Because it's the smallest part of your data center journey. Absolutely. So one, talk us through data center conversations moving to cloud. And
2: secondly, where do you see... C, uh, SharePoint Online versus SharePoint On-Prem. So, first of all, when it comes to, uh, if we might say, um, moving from your own TIN environment, and uh, the reason why I'm referring to a TIN environment, a lot of people will say that a cold room where service is situated in the building is their data center. Okay. Um, I would rather refer to that as your server room or your whatever they might call that. Uh, it might, you might confirm to certain requirements from the Uptime Institute which is perfect. Uh, you might have continuity, which is, once again, it's perfect. So those are the core basics. When they start talking about moving to the cloud or moving to a hosted environment, but to another host, if we might say that, then we start talking about more the financial conversation. Number one, the, uh, the TCO of the project, total costs of the whole complete mm offering, if we might say, okay. the holistic view. Okay, So people start having that discussion first. Secondly, then they would like to have the discussion and this is something that people are very, very, very scared of, is core systems. Um, a lot of people is very scared to move a core system. They can't necessarily have downtime. Uh, it is a production system. Their productions might go down or something like that. So that is the difficult, if we might say, layer of that particular discussion. Uh, moving your TIN from your server room into a hosted data center environment, uh, that's just basically a lift and shift. So yes, once again, questions will be asked of how much do I pay for floor space? Do you have the necessary requirements? BTUs, is there enough aircon Mm -hmm. space to keep my... So that's the type of discussion that people would go through. Um, SharePoint Online, SharePoint uh, on-premise, I firmly believe that there is a future... SharePoint on-premise, but in hindsight I have to say this. Um, What I see is that there's a future for SharePoint on-premise with a hybrid flavor. Uh, What I personally feel is yes you can use SharePoint for the collaboration perspective, for the content management perspective on-premise, however you're selling yourself very short when you're not making use of some of the features with a hybrid set with SharePoint Online, Office 365, those types of scenarios. Um, but then again, I have to add that um, if people say that SharePoint on-premise will be dead in a couple of years, I will laugh at them. And the reason why I'm saying that is if you say that SharePoint on-premise would be dead, then it means that you have to take down SharePoint Online as well. Because SharePoint Online is also a on-premise version, obviously hosted through various data centers Mm. (laughs) throughout the world. (laughs) So, yes, I hear 100% what people are saying, and I take cognizance of that fact that, yes, people highlight it, but I firmly believe that there is a future for SharePoint on Premise, even though that future entitles a lot of uh, hybrid possibilities, if we might say that, yes.
1: So coming back to to the,
2: the data center conversation,
1: yes, the initial statement around moving to the cloud is, okay, TCO. Right. Yeah. Instead of worrying about all the time, all you have to worry about is a piece of fiber running to your source. That's world. it. Absolutely. Literally, that's what it boils down to. That mean. is what it boils down to. There's a lot of considerations. and But people should stop thinking. Well, that. the converse is true. When people move to Office 365, the last thing they think about is SharePoint we saw that at Tech Summit everyone was saying but what is Office 365 all they see is I've got mail in the cloud and I've got Delve I can see people mail and Delve wow oh and Office that's what I have yes and we can now run AMS, EMS and start so managing devices but that's not Office 365 uh, well that's a component of it I mean, mail being the easiest most implicit way oh and Skype yes Skype yes there we go Skype But, I mean, there's there's a lot more that makes up Office 365. And even companies are struggling to articulate what Office 365 really is when it comes down to what it's being used for and, and how to effectively use Office 365. So, cloud, for me, is not Office 365. No. Cloud, for me, would be, let's go Azure, let's go AWS. Absolutely. And the benefits of that is, I don't have to worry
2: about it. Like, yes. So now I can basically streamline my money into my own service offering, internal IT, or as well into my lines, my internet connections, oh. those types of things. So my backbone stuff, I can start oh. focusing on that. So then all of a sudden I can start pushing more money towards my whole network infrastructure, yeah. um, which is which will obviously be to oh. the benefit. Oh. However, uh, network infrastructure is only as good as a provider. For sure. So, yes, Office 365, great, but if you're in a remote place in the sticks, you can't have access to Office 365, you're going to be there for very long, Um, what do you do? Yes, there is ways and means going about it, however, let's think of it practically. If you were sitting on a company uh, network, internal network, and they've got an office that's in the sticks, all right? Yes, there is a bit of, if we might say, a requirement, there might be a bit of a requirement from a provider to provide you access back into your own network infrastructure. The chances are, if you have to take your breakout, your internet, and your internal network, the chances are your breakout, your internet, is going to be most, most of the time down if you have to relate it back to your internal network. So if you have to take a snapshot between mm-hmm. the two, the one that's going to be down the most, obviously that's going to be your internet.
1: I agree with you uh, quite considerably. Uh, but there's a caveat, though. So as we grow as a country, I mean, we're not we're not America or Europe, although more America, we're not... Europe still has pockets. America is really moving on to, oh, shit, you can now get minimum 200 meg fiber to us. It's municipal fiber. They've been doing it for the better part of 10 years. So we're not there yet. But our, our broadband service offering has literally... Mushroomed. Yes. Um, I mean, you can walk outside and there's um, wisps everywhere. I've got a mate that's got a, a high point at his house. Everyone's bouncing off their panel. There's a couple of guys where I stay. We've got fiber in the road. So fiber is becoming much more of a commodity. Yes. It's easily attainable. I think what you were saying earlier on was so how do I manage my breakout? So I've got CCOM out of Durban and then I've got the Wisp guys out of uh, Malpus in Cape Town. So how do I break out? So if I want continuity, I literally have to run two lines. Yes. One through Durban and one through on the other coast and eventually, hopefully, they'll get a breakout from Wintook um, and, and, and then have your peering points that way. Yes. Because there's always the chance of a trawler clipping a line and then Yes, there are great peering points, but that big pipe that you were on is now this 400,000 people on the same pipe that you are. Yes. And it becomes a problem.
2: Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100%. So, yes, uh, from an infrastructure perspective, from coming back to um, cloud versus on-prem, moving to a data center, um, I always believe, I firmly believe that a data center is a very good solution. Yes, it does take uh, away a lot of overheads, especially when it comes to tin refresh. But if you think about it this way, all big organizations, especially that does have their internal IT, you will have the request, as an example, on SharePoint, they would like to make use of BI features on SharePoint. The host is not going to provide you with the BI features. Your internal IT is going to provide you with the BI.
1: Well, so with the new version of well, SQL vNext, mm-hmm. a BI resides in SQL, not in SharePoint
2: yeah, yeah, but as an example, so you, if you, if you, if you extract any any, any information from cubes and you push it into oh. Excel and you make use of Excel services to display that um, on your SharePoint environment, even though it's going to be if we well, even though it splits off um, into the new if we might say Office Online server, uh, or yeah, yeah
1: so moving away, deprecating Excel services, is, moving on to full blown Excel yes. for real or proper reasons.
2: Yes, so. If, you, if you're still sitting within that scenario, then if you have your internal BI guys, your internal business analysts um, that can have a look at it, uh, that service still gets provided by internal resources, by your internal IT. So within said that, as I said earlier, invest the money in those guys, getting them skilled up, getting them to understand the products, also getting them to understand new up-and-coming features so that they can also get into that mindset of, listen, we're not going to be on-prem for very long. We're going to the cloud but it's obviously going to take, it's a bit of a journey, getting to the cloud. Um, it's going to be a step process, and I have to customize myself to that particular process and understand the technology and how the technology has evolved in order to have the same result sets, or even a better result set. So yes, um, that's why I say, uh, yes, putting it in data center, perfect, just means that you don't necessarily have the TIN overview anymore, or the TIN cost.
1: Look, for me, it, it makes logical sense, People are sweating hard now, so they write it off after year three. Yes, and then they sweat it for another two, three years. Sometimes an extra four years on top of that three year, and and when they get to refreshing the data, costs a couple of million rand. Um, not a couple, probably about five, six million to to refresh it. Um, that's why guys that are bringing in application aware storage, it becomes good because then you don't have to worry about IOPS anymore. Yes. Whereas then, moving to AWS or, or or Azure, uh, that's the least of your worries. You don't consider, you don't worry about IOPS. If you configure your environment correctly, there's no issue with IOPS. There's no issue with, with redundancy. There's no issue with availability because it's there. Uh, there's no issue, there's issue with the data sovereignty depending on where you spin it up and what AZs. is. Easy. But your biggest thing is this. So just on that, around connectivity, Amazon's going to be dropping down Edge service, one in Joburg, one in Cape Town. So, your breakout is not to the internet and then back in. You actually connect to the edge servers and then connect out. directly out. So, that's going to make quite a big uh, That's going to be sweet. In country. Uh, we don't know what Microsoft is going to be doing around that. There's, there's no mention of are we going to get either a uh, Azure data center in country or are we are going to get it? We won't get an Office 365 data center. I don't think they'll, they'll drop one down here. But let's, let's see what happens. So, your top 10. Well, so, do you actually do see a pointer? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I do. Yes. I mean, that's, that's you've been your
2: current role for a while now. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. it's basically all variations. I call it variations mm-hmm. of versions. 20, well, 2003, 2007. Well, STS actually. From STS, SS3, 2007, 2010, 2013, 2016. And obviously, then. SharePoint Online and Office 365 in Global it Master. So when I mean global, it means the overview of, of Office 365, all the companion apps, everything that goes into there, so the Office 365. Support. So your current customers,
1: are you having quite a big uh, SharePoint Online conversation with them?
2: Not necessarily as big as you want to. Um, and if I say as big as I want to, I'm not talking about capacity or seats or anything like that. I'm talking about the amount of customers. That's talking uh, that that you're basically engaging in that conversation with, and that's important. Um, the more projects you get from whether it's moving from on-premise, whether it's a hybrid solution, those types of conversations, we haven't had too much of those. I'd like to have more of them, but recently, yeah, we had a couple, and um, things are looking good. Um, even though you know you have always have the big hurdle of what people is always going to throw in your face is data sovereignty. And when you say to them that, in a hybrid scenario, let's leave your heartbeat of your content, the IP, the important stuff, on premise, then people say, "Yeah, but they're still exposed to the cloud." Blah blah blah, the whole thing. So yeah, it's a bit of a difficult conversation. Once if you get, we, once you, once <coughs> you step over that hurdle, then um, yeah, then it's, then it's a very easy conversation. We governed
1: by EU regulations, specifically the GDPR, uh, and that rolls up into popular so, what content you're allowed to move to cloud, depending on your vertical, like banks can, banks can't, those sort of conversations. It's still it's still in its... Well, it's, it's past, but it hasn't been applied yet.
2: Yes, so I the, agree with you.
1: The GDPR stuff only kicks in in 2018. Um, and then there's the... There's another EU regulation that also... And everyone's left in the dark here when it comes to... So what can we move? What can't we move? We've heard poppy. Poppy's a big thing. People are shouting at us around poppy. There's a governing body in South Africa that's been established, it has been signed off on, and they're not sure when they're going to implement stuff or when they're going to start handing out fines. But your, your take when when thinking about moving to the cloud, uh, uh, what would they be if customers are saying, okay, we've heard about this cloud thing, what, what should they start considering?
2: Well, what they should start, first of all, we'll start considering, well, consider to move first. All right? um, from a SharePoint perspective, uh, they have to remember one thing, okay? and that's usually how I will approach the conversation is to say SharePoint and SharePoint, it doesn't matter whether it's SharePoint on premise or SharePoint online or whether it's a hybrid configuration, doesn't matter. SharePoint is a presentation layer with features and functionalities. And that gives you the leverage to plan what type of features and what type of functionalities you actually are going to make use of. Once you've established what you're making use of, then you can go and have a look and see is there content that is attached to that. And when I talk about content, I'm not talking about items. I'm talking about real hardcore, whether it's documents, whether it's contracts, legal stuff, those types of things the stuff that you can actually say, but this is not allowed to leave my, my, my office. Okay. Once you've done through that, so that's typically uh, in, in what we call a current state analysis to understand, first of all, the content that you're having. Once we understand the content, then we can say, listen, this type of content needs to stay in office. A report, as an example. If you publish a report, that particular report, it's get, it gets data from somewhere. So let's go and have a look at the data. Where does the data reside? Is it a list on SharePoint? Are you extracting information from a list on SharePoint? Or is it in actual fact a database that's residing on your SQL server? So within saying that, yes, you do a hybrid. You obviously have your BI component on-premise talking to your SharePoint environment, which has got a hybrid configuration into SharePoint Online. So it's purely just boils back to the planning and the decision makers with regard to the planning, they need to understand uh, the whole concept of what you are trying to achieve. All right, thanks for being with us, Josh. Uh, how do people get hold of you? Uh, Twitterati,
1: the, the blog, all of those things?
2: Oh, so yes, uh, I blog most of the time on Medium, through uh, Medium. So for the people that does know Medium, you're more welcome to go to Office 365 Insights. Oh, so 365 Insights, let's so in Yes, there we go. Uh, you'll find some of our blogs. Uh, one of the key things that I've started now is uh, the Guide to Consultants, Essential Guide to Consultants. So it's basically, if we might say, a... Uh, overview of a lot of times people will ask you what does it take to become a SharePoint consultant, or they're trying to interview people, they're trying to get a SharePoint developer, or they're trying to do this. Um, that would basically be a step-by-step, not necessarily process, but explanation of what the role actually entitles. Um, I sincerely hope that coming SharePoint Saturday, Joburg this year, I would be able to have it finalised, uh, not necessarily published, but to have it in an ebook form. Or uh, a brochure that can be handed out. Or oh, even an electronic awesome. copy uh, for people. to It's a fun read. We're trying to keep it as fun as possible um, for that. So on my Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, sharemycrm. Oh, that's right. Tim. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and then Facebook is just Joshua. The normal. And uh, yeah, I'm not a big... Uh, uh, any tweet. other apps yeah, well I mostly follow tweets and sometimes I retweet and maybe I might You're a just tweet stalker, like a
1: camper. Like yes, a camper.
2: yes, almost like that. Yeah, yeah. All
1: right. No Laka, well thanks
2: for being on the show and we'll chat to you soon. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, much appreciated. Awesome. Cool. Thank
0: you, Joshua, for coming on. Always good to have you on the podcast. So so when last have you been in a room with with myself and Joshua? It's been forever, dude. Yeah. Very, very long oh. time. Yeah, that's, that's a pity.
1: Uh, we missed that.
0: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to sort that out sometime. So, moving on to our next segment, In the News. Yes, and we've actually got quite a lot of news this week. So, we'll try to get through it in a timely manner. So, first up, In the News. Quite a big thing. Actually, a massive thing. It's sort of flown under the radar from what I can see, which is quite strange to me. But... Um, Azure AD business-to-business services are now generally available, according to a Microsoft blog. So this is a big deal. Up until now, when you're dealing with any of the Azure services, so SharePoint Online, or you're doing a hybrid model, or any of these things, the authentication method is a little clunky. You're stuck with that one AD and everything you need to do in there. If you need to bring in somebody from outside, you have to create a user inside your Azure AD. And now, apparently, that is no longer the case. You can use the Azure AD business-to-business service, and it can authenticate outside of your Azure AD tenant. So you can invite somebody, from what they say, with any email address into your portal.
1: So I know there was a list of authentication providers, so uh, using um, um, OAuth, so you could authenticate with Facebook and gmail and all of those things i think there was like 14 of them yes that
0: that is called the azure ad b2c or business to cloud service and that is now generally available in europe apparently and that will let you that will let you authenticate against facebook or gmail or or what what i i haven't played with this myself the, the the b2b service so i'm not quite sure exactly how it how it goes but According to the sales pitch, you can just invite to any email address and and share our crazy pieces. Though. That that makes so that makes collaboration in these portals actually possible between businesses and in different companies. I'm so looking forward to this. I can have all of my all the documents I generate, all the specs, all the everything. I can have it in the one place, and then the client can authenticate in and and see those and we can we can have that actual true one copy of the truth. It never needs to go in an email ever. It doesn't get stuck in my OneDrive. It it, it can be actually controlled and actually useful. I love this. So, Amazing.
1: So my question is so with with, with aad Azure A D, right? Yes. So you run a Dir Sync and you sync and I am not too sure if it's a one way or it's a bi directional sync. Anyhow it doesn't matter. So if you've got A D in the cloud and you've got A D on prem, right? Yes. So now I create external users in Azure AD. This is what you're saying
0: you can do now. You you can always create a new user there. I'm saying you they don't have to have a user in your AD. You you can invite them, you can invite them from outside. You don't need to create them a user, Bob at your when Bob's in another company. That. You can say Bob at his and he'll come so in. So the
1: reason why I'm asking is if you are SharePoint on prem, right? So now you've got claims based authentication. Yeah. Okay. So if I was doing a bi-directional sync and I can invite external users into Azure A D, can I sync that user back to SharePoint so that I don't have to worry about FBA then? I think so.
0: I, I think that's you the You see, see where my
1: question is. Yes.
0: Like like I say, I haven't uh, I haven't got into this myself. So I'm I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. It's certainly interesting. I've got some Azure credits that I actually should play and it's
1: on the eve or not the eve but I mean there's the global Azure boot camp happening on the 22nd of April at Microsoft across the planet so it's in Cape Town it's in Johannesburg so they've got an IT pro and a dev uh, track there's also some hands on labs um, with some machine learning so do come along it's at Microsoft in Bryanston Microsoft in Cape Town and Come check out what's happening in Azure. Awesome.
0: That includes you, Modlin. You should come along. Yes, I will I will very much try to do so. In Divo to be there. I will in Divo to be there. Alright, what's next, Modlin? Next up, Office Online Server has got a new release, the April 2017 release. It's got a bunch of performance improvements and now officially supports Server 2016. So the Office Online Server is the product that you would use if you want to host the Office services locally. So when we work in Office 365, we get access to Word Online, Excel Online, all these things. If you want to run that from a local server rather than using the cloud service, you can do that. And this is the product that does it. So you can now officially do it um, on Server 2016. So that's yeah, you, good. Would th-
1: yeah. you would have thought that they'd fix the name because it was called Office Web Apps. And then they went, oh, shit. So uh, Outlook Web Access, it's OA. Oh, so what do we do? Oh, uh, let's call it Office Online Server. Great. So uh, where's the online part? <laughs> because it's Office Online Server on prem. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, a, there's quite a few announcements, performance, um, some viewing in Word, some new navigation paneling in Word online. Mostly around Word Online. It's the only second release update for Office Online Server since it shipped last year, I think. I think you're right, yes. All right, uh, next bit of news. What What you got for us? This one's funny. Edit posts in Yammer. Oh. Ah. So people have been crying for it for
0: two years. You can now edit a post in Yammer. Okay, so I, I have some questions. Because I have, seen, I have seen this sort of thing, right? I, I have seen w- what happens if you allow people to go and edit posts. And there are some very funny things online you can see when Facebook implemented this. And you'd write a nice little status like, oh, I like, uh, I like ponies. And everybody would comment like, oh, yeah, that's so great. I love them too, what, what, what. And then you get this whole post built up and then you'd go back and you'd edit your original one and say, I love Nazis. And suddenly, and then you take a screen card, uh, the screen cap of everybody saying like, oh, yeah, I love them too. They're the greatest. Oh, wow. Yes. I never thought about it. That yeah. Way. So if you're using this as a, as a method to keep track of what everybody said and stuff, going back and editing it makes that a little weird. I assume they have a version history. Facebook does as well, though. Yes. I, but it. I, I don't use Facebook. I don't know. Does it show you this person has edited this on this time or do you have to go into a little thing in the back end? Because did, Well, it, it says edited, so you can actually see that the post has been edited. Been, been edited. Okay, that, that's good. It still doesn't show me it what just was says changed edited, there. Just, it, it makes it a little weird for me for this conversation tracking bit. It makes it a little strange. But it, it is a it is a good thing. So Look, the people have spoken.
1: They've wanted it for donkey's years and they finally have it i'll probably get shot by my yammer friends but it's not revolutionary (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not Um, great fantastic Um, i'm excited that it is there but is it really going to change my world no no what is going to change my world tracy uh, from the scave posted on facebook and it it actually started off at uh, support.office.com which is a weird place for a new feature to be registered. But I think it actually goes there first and then they release it. There's new security and compliance features. And the problem with support.office.com, it's not like going to blog.office.com because at blog.office.com, you can actually check when the post was published. Whereas support.office.com doesn't have the date published. So the last three days we're going, hmm, is that a new feature? We're not sure. We've never seen it before. And then I checked Uh, weekly digest on office 365 updates and presto it is there so to kate and and tracy i can confirm that this is all brand spanking new to office 365 so the security and compliance center always extended through e-discovery and you could do some really cool um, inspections of stuff across office 365 so you could sniff exchange, you could sniff SharePoint, and you could do proper e discovery. So go find anything that has ID numbers or credit card numbers in and lock the content down or don't send the mail and all of that. So what's sensitive? What they've done now, and once again, Microsoft, your naming conventions suck. Yeah. They've added they've added a classification schema component to the cost security and compliance center. Okay. So back in the old days, and I'm sure I'll give a shout out to Chris Givens who's working with OpenText right now, strangely enough. It all started there where they had categorizations and classifications and that would roll up into records management. So you have a classifications tree and each tree's got a primary series indicator with, a, a well, it's got a primary series with record series indicators, let's call it that. Now, in the security and compliance center, you've actually got a tab called classifications. And under that tab, you've got what they call labels, label policies, and sensitive information types. Okay. Not to be confused with SharePoint labels under your information management policy on a library or on a list. Mm. It is not the same thing. So remember labels. You could generate barcode labels in SharePoint. Yeah. Labels and classifications allows you to add a label to a document anywhere in Office 365 be it in an Office 365 group, be it in Exchange, be it in SharePoint or OneDrive, you can now label a document. And labelling that document allows you to add a policy. Cool. Uh, Retention policy. The naming conventions suck. So did you ever work with rights management services or information rights management back in the old days?
0: Uh, I did do a little bit, yes.
1: So, RMS, for those who don't know, for our listeners who don't know, uh, it locks down content. So, you can't copy paste content out of a Word document, all of those things. So, this works very much in the same way that it did because you weren't, um, rights management services had nothing to do with SharePoint. You could connect it to SharePoint, but it didn't require SharePoint. So, it actually sits on the back end of Office and it enables specific policies inside of the Word document. So, you didn't have to put the content in. SharePoint, although you could enable RMS for SharePoint so that when you upload a document to a library, you could enforce a policy on the entire library saying that when someone downloads this document, apply this policy to it and you can't copy-paste or you can't print the document or you can't email the document. Yeah. So this is along the same vein as that. So you can create a label or a classification label. That's what they should have called it. And... You can say, "Well, I want to call it a storage label. So, I want to retain the object that I'm applying this label to for five years, and then do something with it afterwards." Although it's rudimentary, it, it doesn't have the richness that retention policies inside of of uh, the information management policy component inside of SharePoint has, because there's no disposition. It's just retention. So, you know, it doesn't, there's no option to um, you can either keep it or delete it. There's no option to initiate a workflow or move it to the next stage or do something else with it. Yeah, yeah. But literally, yeah. What you can also do in labeling is tell it to declare it a record. So there's a little tick box that says declare it a record, create a record, and it will create a record of that object that you're adding in a group, in OneDrive, in Exchange, or in SharePoint. That is power, mate. That power, is, power, power. That
0: is super power. That's not to be
1: confused with labels in, or not to be confused with what you can do with uh, information management policies inside of SharePoint.
0: That is That's my big news. That is have, that, that is us- huge. That 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 makes a big difference to everything we're trying to do with the content management at SharePoint.
1: Well, these these pros and cons to it, and I think for, we should actually open that up to a, a separate episode because we could talk about it for fifty minutes, like everything else.
0: Yeah. What you got next for us?
1: So uh, there's a bunch of improvements for Office 365 because that's all the news we have is really on Office 365. So there's the experience around the content embedded web part. So uh, they're adding a list of default sites and domains that are recognized as safe to Office 365, so you don't have to worry about and embedded content being pulled in from unknown sites. So you can actually, it's a nice security feature. So if someone had to edit and fiddle with the content embed web part and they're trying to grab data that's not in the approval list, they won't be able to. The next one is a public preview for Microsoft Graph reporting APIs. So now it's in public preview. It um, was kind of not in public preview. So now you can use the usage reports in the admin center to grab more, well, it's the APIs into the user report, so you can grab that information programmatically instead of having to generate it manually. Sweet. And then also shareable links now in SharePoint and OneDrive. I'm not too, that doesn't excite me. So SharePoint and OneDrive for business users experience, so they have a better user experience instead of automatically downloading the file or opening it in the browser. So I don't care about that. I'm going to just move on to the next one. (laughs) Last but not least, Microsoft Cognitive Services. So think ML and AI. So there's a general availability for the Face API, the Computer Vision API, and the Content Moderator stuff. So think around being able to up your ICR game. I've actually got a friend, Chris, who's going to use, I think, the Computer Vision API to do better, to do proper intelligent character recognition of handwritten manuscripts from the early 1900s. Okay. Yeah, so get it to learn handwriting. So apply, because you have ICR and OCR, OCR, optical. And Chris, this is for you if you're listening. Optical character, optical refers to the dots per square inch or the DPI of printed documents. And that's where the optical in optical character recognition comes from. Intelligent character recognition, stupid name, but it really refers to pressure points in handwriting and the way you would, the handwriting recognition works. So stroke and depth of 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 each letter and all of those things heavy and then last but not least, everyone that uses phone sign in for Microsoft does not does not always complains they always have to log in so wherever you're signing in with your phone uh, every single time you want to sign into office three six five or something, it gives you that stupid office three six five login window, and it's painful, so Microsoft is now pushed no password for your phone signing. So what you can do while well, they're shifting the security away from your memory to your device. So add your account to uh, the Microsoft Authenticator app and you would no longer have to keep on putting in your passwords. So it's going to be available
0: for Android and iOS and it will save your password. That's sweet. That is super cool. That is, that is handy because yeah, ma- maintaining the ma- maintaining these identities are an issue. I know we've got we've got a Microsoft identity for the podcast. I've got one for work. I've got a bunch for some clients. Maintaining all these different things is a headache and a half. Being able to do anything to to streamline that process is awesome. It's very, very it's cool. extremely
1: painful, extremely painful.
0: Uh, but I, 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 I hate it.
1: And yes, multiple identities. I have the same password for all my Office 365 identities. Just so that it's okay. For the most part, the browser saves it. Use password for, boom, thank you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great that they've
0: actually pushed it down to mobile because mobile doesn't. I, I don't know if you should tell the internet that you have the same password for everything. That like so, some people... For my Office 365 identities, there's only two, well, three. Actually, the third one doesn't have the same password. So some people in the, out there on the internet will take that as a challenge. Uh, yeah. I'm going to change it all now. And the nice thing is, uh, you don't actually have to don't actually have to change it now, because you just you've told them that you've changed it, so it'll work.
1: But should I change it or should I leave it and tell everyone I have changed
0: it? Should I stay or should I go now? Is that it for our uh, in the news? I think that is it for our news. As you say, we will have some discussions further down the line of exactly what all this means, because there's some like big bombs that hit this this last oh, yeah. week so it's going to oh, take us a little while to play around with it ourselves and see exactly how these fit in and when we figure that out we'll tell you guys look that the labels one is a
1: no-brainer it's really around the, the impact of applying labels if you have information management policies applied already applied to documents in sharepoint yeah so that that's the tricky question they should have merged the two if you ask me so extend im policies back into groups and OneDrive and um exchange because think about it realistically right so you've got a content window admin- okay next show next show we'll talk about
0: it. <laughs> yes next show we'll do that awesome so yes that's it for our new segment so then we're on to my favorite segment of the week the new find of the week this is not new to me it might be new to some
1: people um, and it's not specific to sharepoint but it It can do stuff with SharePoint and Azure and Office 365. So for those out there who struggle with consuming information, integrating information, personally, I'm not talking about for business, although you can use it for business. And the reason why Microsoft Flow exists is because of a product called IFTTT. If that, then this. What I like about IFTTT, it's got a bunch of recipes out of the box. You search for stuff, and what it does is it allows you to integrate between stuff that you use. I'll give you a textbook example. So I use Hootsuite for my Twitter stuff. I also use TweetTech, but Hootsuite primarily. So what I, do, so I sit in, in, in Hootsuite, and I post to Twitter, obviously, and then I cross-post to Facebook, and I cross-post to, no, to, to LinkedIn. Yes. And then if you're sitting in Instagram, which is really where I use it, you've got the option to post your picture to Facebook and to Twitter. So, yes, it's great because my picture comes up in Facebook because Facebook and Instagram talk to each other. But Twitter, when you post and you hit that little Instagram connector to Twitter button, it doesn't post the native image. It actually posts the Instagram URL and it's always shortened because it's longer and you have to click on it and it opens the Instagram app. So what I've done with IFTTT, because it has a recipe, I say, whenever I post on Instagram, go grab the text and the image and natively post it to Twitter so that people in Twitter don't have to click on the link to open up the image. They'll actually see the image. Cool. So IFTTT's got a whole bunch of functionality like that to help you in your productivity. So you could say, well, um, I want to add tasks from Evernote to my Outlook Tasks, and there's a recipe for that. You can go build your own recipe. As long as you have accounts to back-end systems, chances are there's integration into it. So go grab a Slack command and post it to uh, Trello, or go into SharePoint and go fetch something and push it somewhere else, or give me an alert. Mail me when someone, a new MailChimp account, new subscriber subscribes to MailChimp, and put it into that account details. So there's a whole bunch of different integration things that you can do with IFTTT, and it's invaluable because it saves a lot of time. If you look at all the apps that you have on your phone, there's 12,000 different apps you have on your phone. You don't know which one to open and all of that. With IFTTT, you can streamline a lot of that, and flows based on the same concept. Cool. And I I think I'll keep the second one for next week. Yeah, I can't use them all up at once, eh? Got got to to spread these out. Oh. And now, to my favorite segment of the week, <laughs> the PowerShell commandlet of the week.
0: Cool, yeah. So, today's PowerShell commandlet is a little quality of life one if you're setting up farms <laughs> and if you're setting up complicated farms, more like. And it is the export sp enterprise search topology commandlet. And looped into this as well is obviously the import. SP Enterprise Search Topology. So what you can do with this is, there's a couple of things you can do. If you've if you've got like a, a backup form or whatever, or you just wanna have all, all of the configuration for DR purposes, you can do an export of what your enterprise search topology will look like, which services are running or what servers and all of that. It, it dumps it into a XML file for you, which is really sweet. Um, and then you can import that back later. You can also then go in and change whatever the whatever it is in that XML for a different environment and then just import it straight. So it's a handy little thing if you are running complicated farms with complicated search topologies. This can make your life a little bit quicker and easier.
1: Do you have to have the search service running before you import the topology?
0: Yes, you do have to have the search service running and um, up on all the all the servers that you will be posting the components to. Before you can import the topology, because when you import the topology, it will actually implement it. So you do need to have the servers up and the and the servers themselves that the components are going to be on.
1: So you just create the service application,
0: yes, and obviously the service application proxy. You don't do all the other stuff. Yeah, well, you, you you create all of that. I think you do have to start the the servers yeah, on all of the servers yourself. on all of the servers as well. But you don't have to go in and manually then set up. Crawl is going to be on these two. Index uh, is going to, prop- uh, oh, awesome. going to be on that. Query is going to be on this box. What, what, what. You can say? That's it's power, on all of these. Bro, that's power. Yeah.
1: That is power.
0: Yeah. It, I like that. It's book. a super handy one. I used this a little bit when I was doing a hybrid search implementation because I had to rebuild the stupid thing like eight times. Yeah. And <laughs> after a while, I was like, screw this. <laughs> just export this. And I can just import it once and not have to run through six different commands.
1: All right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, that's that's one of your... The top end of your PowerShell commandlets.
0: Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Always nice. All right. So is that it? I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me, Al. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you want to find us online, you can find our website, twoguysandsharepoint.co.za. We're also on Twitter, at SharePoint. I'm on Twitter, at oddmodlin. And Al is... At Alistair Putre. We're also on Facebook and your podcast app of choice, Stitcher, iTunes, all this sorts of stuff. Stitcher, iTunes, tune in, Pocket Cast. Am I missing something? Like hundreds. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. So please tell your friends about it. Go like, share, and subscribe, as the YouTubers say. And uh, thank you for joining us.
1: Ciao, ciao, Mr. Modlin. Cheers, Al. coughed, but i turned the mic down so you'll find a gap
0: all good you can you so can just I, cough and then i can cut it out it's far easier all
1: right okay cool it is actually <laughs> cuz switching the flipping the switch takes longer and makes more noise on the mic than it does just <laughs> yes. to cough